If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. And listeners, today we have got an incredible episode with Scott Hartman, who's going to be sharing with us how to ace our media interview. Whether you're a chief executive, a development director, or someone who's running a program, there's almost always some point at which you are talking to someone in the media, often in front of a camera or a microphone. So this is such an incredibly important conversation for us to have today. I'll also share with you that as our conversation evolved, we also got some bonus material about how to present really great on Zoom or FaceTime or Google Hangouts or however your organization is doing its virtual meetings today. Before we move into that, though, I just want to say that spring is in the air. And part of what that often means is board retreats. Over the last year, I have done a number of virtual board retreats. So if you or your organization are like, ah, it's time for our annual retreat, we missed it last year because of the pandemic, and we don't know if we're going to have it this year or how we're going to do it, reach out to me. I'd love to have a conversation with you about facilitating your board's retreat. It's possible to do remotely. It really is. Now, let me introduce you to Scott Hartman. Before I do, I have to share something with you. Scott and my husband, Frank, went to college together. And as all of our loyal listeners know, my husband really doesn't listen to the podcast. I love him. He loves me. But he doesn't really find it useful for his everyday life, so he does not listen. And it's something that I often tease him about. So last night, as we were making dinner, I said, hey, you know, your, your buddy Scott from college is going to be on the podcast. Maybe you're going to listen to this episode. I think it's going to air sometime in April. And he smiled at me, and he said, probably. Probably not. So I didn't take it personally. Not only does he not listen to my podcast, but I was like, all right, he's also not going to listen when one of his friends from college is on. But so Scott is a 20-year veteran of media and agency work. And you might say, Dolph, what does that mean? Well, over the last 20 years, Scott has done so much in this arena. He has been a media coach, a director, a cinematographer, and he's also done editing of media interviews. So 
part of the really cool thing is part of what he's done is he has led hundreds of media coaching sessions. Before he rolled out into his own firm, Scott Hartman Films, he was doing this at one of the most prestigious agencies, not just in the Southeast, but probably in the United States. So we are so incredibly lucky to be able to turn the microphone around on Scott so he can show us how we ace our media interviews and also get a little better with our Zoom. Hey, Scott, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, it is fun to have the microphone turned around on me or the camera turned around on me. I've spent a lot of time coaching other people on how to do this. It's it, it's one of those times where I probably better step up and do it myself. I totally get it. Now, I understand that you once helped a really sort of dry medical researcher turn what would have been a pretty boring speech into a performance. Can you share more about that? Sure, absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, medical researchers uh, do amazing work and clinical trial work and, and other things of the like. Um, but one of the things they often have to do is go present their work, um, not only to professional journal or a professional association, but to possible funders for research. And a lot of times these funders are people very similar to you and me. Uh, they just happen to be well-funded and they can help support this work. And so we had a challenge where we had a, a pediatric oncologist at a children's hospital and he had done amazing work. I mean, it was fantastic. It was great, but he would have to dig into the data to show that. And for a lay audience, you know, it can be hard when you have 45 minutes on stage to go dig into the data. And so what we really had to do is create a, a true presentation for him, you know, um, develop it into a bit of theater because when you go speak in front of this auditorium full of lay people who can help fund your research, you got to boil it down. One of the most amazing uh, metaphors, we, we created a ton of metaphors. It became all about examples and metaphors and, and getting a little bit away from the data, um, which, you know, a, a, a research doctor had a little trepidation on getting away from his data. That's, that's what they live by. That's what it's all about. But we sort of, you know, told him we got to boil this down and we got to find some ways to make this understandable. And one of the coolest things we did is, I don't know if you've ever gotten underneath a car and seen the giant springs that make up part of the suspension, but we came up with this metaphor where there's something that happens in medical research where, for the, the first, you know, 90% of the research, you're making huge strides. You're rocking and rolling and you are, you're doing a great job. You get to that last 10% though, where you're trying to find a cure or a long-term management treatment. And that's the part that gets really tough and can sometimes bog down or slow down. It's like trying to compress a spring. And I think he even actually said, you know, it's like when you try to compress a spring, it's easy at first and the tighter that spring gets, the harder it is to push it. And so we went and bought one of those automotive springs from AutoZone and had him take it up on stage and do a whole bit where he explained that where he was, he was at the final stage of trying to collapse the spring. And he had that big, you know, suspension spring on stage with him, holding it up in front of the audience and saying, this is where we are, but this is where we can get to with this final, if we can compress the spring, this last few coils. And the, the presentation was kind of littered with that type of very visual, 
you know, very, I, I think, hopefully, if I did my job right, easy to understand examples and ideas that that audience could say, oh, yeah, I get it. And coincidentally, you know, my company is Scott Hartman Films. Um, we created videos of cancer patients that he had worked with, you know, talking about this particular type of cancer that they had had and how they got over it with his help and why it's so important to continue to fund this type of work. So it was kind of theater and it was video and it, it was all about getting out of the weeds of the data somewhat and really telling the story of what this is all about, which that's one thing you'll probably hear me say in this interview a lot is a lot of this is about story. And so part of what I love about what you did was you helped this researcher take the complicated and make it really simple. It's easy for us to present a complicated idea in a complicated way. As a consultant, I certainly understand that, but to make it simple is so much harder. So what are some of the ways as people are preparing for their own media interviews, what are some of the things they should be thinking about to make whatever complicated thing they are going to talk about simple for the people that don't work in this every day? Well, you hit the nail on the head, first of all, by saying, what should they be thinking about? Because they should be thinking about it. One of the things you find is that too often... People are flying by the seat of their pants a little bit. They know they have a call at two o'clock or an on-camera bit at three or a radio call in at four and they just wing it and they don't prepare. So you, yeah, you do have to think about it. So as you're thinking about it, I mean, there's a lot of things to keep in mind. One of the things you need to think about is what do you want to say? What is your position? No matter how serious or lighthearted the topic at hand is, what is your position? And what is something you want people to know? Spend five minutes thinking about that because you may forget it if you try to wing it. So spend some time thinking about that. And then the other thing I tell people, in addition to what do you want to contribute to this conversation is what are examples of what you are describing? So what, what I just talked about with the um, doctor's presentation, it was all about examples, right? It was all about manifesting Things that can be nebulous and hard to explain and saying, what is an example of that? If you're dealing with financial information, what's a concrete example of what you're dealing with? Um, if you're dealing with regulatory affairs, what is a concrete example of what you're trying to get across? Because as we all know, when it comes to uh, legal items and fiduciary items and things like that, it can be hard for lay people. And by the way, most reporters are very much lay people, like they're generalists. Um, you know, maybe if you work for CNBC, you're a financial expert, but most reporters, you know, especially on a local level, may have been reporting on any number of things yesterday. And then today they're interviewing you about your nonprofit. Uh, so spend some time, first of all, just preparing. What do you want to say? Write down three things that you have to get across. You must get across in this interview and think of examples for each of those things. And you'd be surprised how much doing those two things will carry you no matter how long the interview goes. Scott, I loved that you said, write down three things you must get across. Because so often when I'm watching national interview shows and politicians or CEOs are being interviewed, you can tell that regardless of whatever question they're being asked, they're going to they're gonna provide the information that they want to provide. How do we as nonprofit professionals navigate that interview so that no matter what, we can get our three most important facts or items out to the public? Well, first of all, if you're going to participate in an interview, you know, you need to want to be there, if, if that makes sense. You know, you, you talked about the CEOs that go on these shows and it's, 
you get the impression they're doing it because they have to or because the PR people said you need to go on Good Morning America or you need to, you know, interview with a local paper. Uh, want to be there is part of it. And, and by that, I mean, be helpful. You know, reporters' jobs are to get information. And I think, you know, there are certainly times where reporters are trying to get difficult information or possibly secret information. But there's also a lot of times where they're just trying to properly convey this set of information to this audience at home or these readers or whoever. So help them. Um, when they ask questions, give them a real answer. Now, we talk about there's all kinds of different names for this technique. Some people call it a pivot. Some people call it a bridge. But there's always a way to sort of answer their question and then kind of tap dance over to what you want to say about that thing. But that takes practice, I will say. Like that takes, that's something that I did a lot of with people is let's practice how when you get asked this question, you give the reporter a piece of relevant information and then tiptoe your way over to the answer you want to talk about. The big thing is, be ready to help. You want to be helpful to this reporter um, because, frankly, you build a lot of rapport by doing so. And, and honestly, the more helpful you can be, if you can give them some actual information to a question, they'll let you, they will let you then continue into your message that you want to talk about. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit more about how you actually create that bridge or that pivot in a way that feels natural and organic and not forced. Because I know when often when I've done that, it feels like I've taking a hard right turn in the interview because I've just sort of jumped the gun. Right. There's a little, definitely a lot of work that goes into it and, and nobody's perfect at it. But some of the times it's, you just got to make it seem verbally effortless. And I know that's easier said than done, but it can't seem like this hard pivot. You can answer their question. You can say, you know, I understand where you're coming from on that. And, uh, you know, my, my, my thoughts on that would be X, Y, or Z. But another thing you do have to remember is that there's A, B, and C over here. And we can't just ignore A, B, and C. That's an important part of this conversation. I'm speaking, obviously, in hypotheticals. But the, the whole point is, like, give them some of the information they've requested, but, you know, just in a very relaxed way, you have to just say, but let's not forget about this piece of information or, well, let me tell you something else you may not know, actually, or let's back up and let me kind of explain this topic from the beginning. Uh, the other thing, honestly, is we tell people all the time, ask reporters how much they know about the topic or what their experience is with it. Because they may say, you know, I was covering a cat stuck in a tree yesterday and today I'm interviewing you about your annual report or your financials or your gala or your event or your um, public affairs, you know, or whatever. You've got to understand that they probably, they will never know as much about this as you do. And you just need to sort of gently steer them if, if they're going down the wrong path, which that's when you're pivoting and you're bridging, that's really what you're typically doing is you're kind of redirecting them. And I don't even mean that. That sounds like you're spinning something and I don't mean to sound that way. I mean, you want this reporter to get it right and you want to educate them. So you want to sort of naturally steer them back to, to more information that you have that, that fits what you're trying to get across. So Scott, you rock. You gave me and our listeners, three really good pivots. And for me, the, the two that really stuck with me, and I know I'm going to start to use, is, but let's not forget about. And then the other one is, let me also share with you. I love both of those pivots. They sound organic, and it doesn't sound like I'm avoiding your question because I answer it first. Love that. There are a whole lot of verbal cues. Um, on the other hand, you know, let's not forget about, let me back you up. Um, one thing you may not know is 
blank. I mean, there's, and we do this in our natural, uh, in our natural lives, actually, we're not as hyper aware of it. And it's not as nerve wracking, probably when you're talking to a coworker about something. But you know, we do this naturally. And uh, I think this happens a lot. Um, in meetings, if you lead meetings on a weekly basis, there's lots of opportunities to sort of practice this verbal gymnastics. I'm a big fan of that. You know, um, use things like meetings that you may lead every week or calls now that you, you may be in charge of or running and use that as opportunities to practice your, your verbal gymnastics. I love that. And I love that we now have a phrase for it, verbal gymnastics. And I'm going to start to really work on that. Thank you. I've got another question for you that I'm sure some of our listeners either have encountered at this point in their career or will encounter at some point. I've got to take you into the Wayback Machine. It's 2006. I'm 35 years old. I am three years into a very public job where I would often find myself doing kind of D-list local celebrity type things. And I want to be clear, listeners, D list, not A, not B, not even C, like as far down as you can get and still sometimes go to dinner and people recognize you who you don't know. So the local public TV station asked me to come on during their fun drive. You know how they'll sometimes have a community leader or some other D lister who comes on and helps pitch giving to the radio station, sorry, to the public TV station at the same time as they're also providing some programming. And, you know, they often will, the public TV station will offer some swag. So, you know, they might say if you give it $75, you get a tote bag. Well, in this case, they said that if you gave it $150 or $175, you got an umbrella. And by the way, this was a beautiful umbrella. I was holding this umbrella. It was a long umbrella. Like when folded, it was probably three and a half foot long. It had a very, very pointy end. And I, so we were talking about how, what a beautiful umbrella it was and how it will keep you so dry. And I said, and it's so pointy on the end, it's a personal protection device. Everybody's face just went stone cold. And within about a minute, we clipped back to the show and they came to me like, no, you, you can't say that. And the interesting thing is just, you know, I'm, I'm self-aware enough that when I, as soon as I said it, I was like, oh, I should not have said that. And then I saw everyone's face go stone cold. How should I have recovered from that? That's that's an interesting question. Um, I will say that, you know, don't beat yourself up too much because in the pantheon of things that went out over the air that shouldn't have, I would say that's not terrible. Having said that, you know, it's, it's difficult. I'm a believer that you have to sort of correct something on the fly as fast as possible. We would always say, if you say something you did not mean to say, whether it was recorded or live, and you kind of want to take it back, you just have to say, you know what, let me, I need to rephrase that. You know, I know I said this, um, that was probably not the right thing to say. And I'm sorry if that seemed, uh, you know, uh, kind of out of place for the conversation we're having. And, you know, so with you, I would have just probably said something along the lines of, you know, I know I made a crack about this having a nice pointy end and you can use it as a personal protection device, but you know, I probably shouldn't have said that. That that that's, that seems a little rough for what we're talking about here, but it is a great umbrella. It will keep you dry and it's got a good handle. And you know, that's important because these things break over time. So I can't wait to give these away to the first person who, who bids $70 or, you know, whatever. You know, in a weird way, that was a bridge. It was like, let me recognize the thing I kind of said say I probably shouldn't have said it quite that way, but then also talk about this umbrella is pretty awesome though. Uh, so, you know, that's, 
that that's that's kind of what I've got for you for you there. I hope it I hope it satisfies you. It's tough when you say something you did not mean to say. You've said it, you know, and so it, it's like if you say something to a loved one that you realize you shouldn't have said. The best thing you can do is address it immediately. And and honestly, just to extrapolate that, we we've had a lot of people ask, "What if I say something in ten minutes after the interviewer leaves, or after we hang up the phone?" I say, you know, I said one thing in there that I think they misinterpreted or that they took the wrong way. And my advice is get them back on the phone and just say, you know, when we were talking about X, you know, I, I said this and it's made, it's made me uncomfortable since you left. I I'm worried that maybe I came off the wrong way. I mean, the only thing you can do is get it out there. And I think you'll find that, you know, eight times out of 10, they're going to say, Oh no, no, no. I, I understand. No, it's fine. You know, but you know, those, those other two times you will have possibly avoided them printing something. And, you know, they can still print it. Once you've set it on the record, it's, it's out there, but you can say, I didn't really mean that that way. And I want to make sure you understand that. And, and I'm sure there'll be a conversation about what they do with what you said. So here's what I'm hearing. If you realize that right after you said it, the interviewer is still there, the camera's still rolling, whatever, that you should not have said it. You acknowledge that you should not have said it. You correct it. And then I love this. You pivot back to your message. Love that. And then I'm also hearing if it's 10 minutes later or an hour later and you're like, yeah, that maybe that came across the wrong way. You need to have a conversation. Yes. Because we hear people all the time, you know, who say, I want a correction or I was misquoted. I was taken out of context. That's the classic, you know, but what I have found over almost 20 years of talking to people and working with people is when they say, well, I was misquoted, we dig in and we say, well, did you say that? And they say, well, yes, but I didn't mean it that way. And it's like, well, you, you said it. So if you were at all trepidatious after the fact, you should get with them and say, I didn't really mean to say that that way, or that's not a good, I made an analogy here um, to a, a stabby personal protective device. Um, and maybe that wasn't the best analogy. Can I, can I have that one back? Or can you, can I give you another one here over the phone or can you toss it? Um, but yeah, you, you gotta get, you gotta get on it. Um, but people who are misquoted or taken out of context, a lot of times, a lot of times it's, they said something they didn't mean to say, or they shouldn't have said. And the reporter sort of, you know, they're taking notes. Everything is fairly black and white to them. And if they print what you said, a lot of times that is what you said. So I've got a quick follow-up on this. And I know that some of our listeners are probably wondering this. Sometimes we think to ourselves, well, I can be more precise if I email this to the reporter instead of have a call. I don't know why in my head, I think maybe that's not the best strategy, but I want to I want to see, like, do you think that's a good strategy or is the call the best strategy? Um, is it, you're talking specifically about a follow-up on something you feel uneasy about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh yeah, I should have explained this in the following way. Either one is better than nothing, clearly. Uh, I think if you were on a call with a reporter and you have that reporter's number, you should get back on the phone with them. Um, and that that may mean, and it may mean your communications person. This happens a lot where like, you know, the, the PR or communications person does the callback, which is not a great spot to put them in, but it does happen. But if you've got access to their phone number, I would call them back because you don't know if they are going to read that email as fast as, as, as you would read an email. And, and also, 
you know, it's funny. It's the most uncomfortable to have to say something out loud or say you goofed up out loud to somebody. But it, I think it also is the, still think it is the most effective, even in this day and age, the most effective way is to stand up and say, I shouldn't have said that. Or let me clarify that. And sometimes it's not anything hugely controversial. It's just, you know, I'm not sure you understood when I was explaining how the financials worked. So let me, can I walk that through you one more time? We'll walk that through with you one more time. Um, so either one of those is better than nothing. I like the verbal one because you can always call, tell them what happened and then shoot them an email that says, thanks for the call. I really appreciate your understanding. You know, just trying to be thorough. All you can try to do is appeal to their human nature, you know. That is such great advice. Thank you, Scott. And I want us to have another conversation as well. And that's about how we as professionals, whether you're the CEO or the communications person or anyone else, how we as professionals can do a better job on our Zooms or our go-to meetings or whatever it is we're using and that setup. One of the reasons that I think we should probably talk about this is almost all of us are doing these now, and so many of us maybe are not doing them as well as we possibly could. So, Scott, I am really want us to talk about Zoom and how we can better prepare for these virtual calls, whether we're doing them on GoToMeeting or Zoom or some other platform. And I was super impressed when you first came on because you almost immediately said, okay, I'm looking at my levels, my sound levels, I know where I'm at, and you and I kind of walked through it to make sure that we both sounded really pretty good. And the vast majority of our guests don't have your level of technical expertise, so they're not doing those things to make sure that they sound good and look good in their virtual conference. So what are some of the things for people that are working from home that they can do to make sure that their Zoom conferences are technically visually and audially pretty good. Okay. So there, there are some things that I think are not that hard, um, but your mileage may vary. Uh, other people may think these are complicated. First, we've all been in meetings or calls on Zoom where everybody's looking down into their laptops. Boost your laptop up. Don't just put it on a desk. Find three or four dictionaries and shove them underneath it. Because basically what you want to do is if you're using your laptop uh, camera, you want that thing to be at the same eye level as you. It, it's You look like a TV anchor. In TV, the cameras are always at the eye level of the anchors. Well, it's the same thing for this. And it doesn't have to be pretty. I once coached a lady. She was carrying her laptop around her living room, trying to find places this would work. And she ended up putting it on top of her dog crate. And I was like, perfect. It's the perfect height for the chair you're sitting in. So boost your laptop up. That camera should be at eye level. It doesn't matter what you use because nobody's going to see it. So I got to jump in real quick and show you what I use because I do that on my desk. I, and just so you know, Scott, I'm recording in a makeshift home podcast studio, so I'm not at my desk. Although I'm relatively close to eye level right now. But at my desk, I bought from online from Home Depot those plastic boxes that are about, you can get them in four, six, and eight inch sizes that you use to raise the height of your bed. Those things will survive an attack. And literally, you get four of those, you just stick them under your laptop, boom, you can get however many inches you need. And it's like a $12 solution. Sorry, had to jump in because I've done that. So I felt good about that. 
Absolutely. No, this does not have to be complicated. You know, in the, in the sort of filmmaking world, we say it does not matter what it looks like behind the scenes. It only matters what it looks like on camera. So it doesn't matter what's holding your laptop up. So that's number one, get that laptop up. Um, number two is, and I see a lot of confusion, I feel like about this. It's from a lighting standpoint, you know, you see people buying diva lights and, you know, those sorts of things. And those are fine. But what it's really all about is raising the ambient light level in your room. It's not about spotlighting. A lot of people think it's about having a spotlight on them. Well, actually, these webcam cameras don't handle that all that great spotlighting. Um, something else, it's kind of like trying to do the exposure on your phone. And it's like, well, one spot is really dark and the other spot is really bright. It's more about ambient light level. Um, and so if you can find a window, it should not be behind you. It should be in front of you because that window is going to let ambient light in. And that kind of gets to my, my big overall thing with lighting is raise the ambient, knock out the hot spots. So for instance, I have a dome light above me, which is nothing amazing, but it's giving ambient, but it's not in the shot. So you don't see a big bright ball. Same with windows. You should never have a window behind you or a light bulb really of any kind in your shot but you can have a lot of them in the room. And so let's jump off there real quick. What I've noticed when people have a window behind them is it actually shades them out. So it looks like they're one of these shadowy people and you don't actually see them that well. They literally look like a shadow. Yeah, so the way the exposure on these cameras works and uh, the, the metering, I think is the technically way to say it, but is that they're looking for the brightest spot and they're adjusting for it. Or they're evaluating bright versus dark. And if the bright spot is overwhelmingly bright, it's going to say, ooh, I need to darken that a little bit. Well, if you're not the bright spot, you just get darker and darker and darker. Um, and so that's, that's why you don't want bright spots in your, in, your, uh, in your video. It doesn't mean you can't have tons of lamps in the room and all around you, but they can't be in the shot. And I'd like rooms that have big windows. And now the other thing we're going to talk about in a second is backgrounds. And I know it can be tough to find the perfect room, but rooms that have lots of window light where you can position yourself in front of the windows or rather the windows shining onto you or onto your room, those are a good place to start. So that's lighting, right? We talked about raising your laptop. We've talked a little bit about lighting. The other thing I want to talk about is microphones and sound. I'm a big fan of using earbuds uh, for a few different reasons um, or headphones, whichever, but don't use the microphone on your laptop and the speakers on your laptop. Because the problem is this, if you have your volume turned up too loud, your, your laptop speakers will feed back into your microphone. And we have all been on calls where somebody's creating feedback and it, you get that echo and you can't figure out who it is. And that's a, that's a real problem. If you use a set of you know, Beats or AirPods or earbuds, the sound's going into here. So sound's not going to be an issue out in the ether. And most of them have a microphone. Now, you and I are using nicer microphones, but I could be using, I'm wearing a set of Beats. Uh, I could be using the microphone on these just as easily. And it's pretty good. You know, it's going to be close to my mouth. Uh, it's pretty good. So I'm a big fan. I, I've worked with some people who say, I don't like to wear headphones for this. And I just say, it's a better solution. It, it, it eliminates, it fixes so many things and eliminates possible problems with feedback that it's worth doing. So my big thing, my big things are raise your laptop, ambient light in the room and wear a set of earbuds. 
I want to jump in on the earbuds microphone thing. So on my conference calls and podcasting, I do slightly differently. So you see a different setup here. I've got my my better mic and better headsets and that kind of thing. But on my conference calls that are video, I actually purchased a headset with a boom for like $45. And I kind of refer to it as the Time Life headset. If you grew up in the 70s or 80s, you remember Time Life operators are standing by now and you'd see the picture of someone in one of those headsets. So I kind of refer to it as that. But what I love about that is, and, and this is true whether or not you're a little hard of hearing like me, what I love about that is if someone is really soft, there's a dial on my on my little headset that I can just literally twist and I can make them a lot louder. And when they stop talking and the next person's really loud, I can twist that dial down and they're softer without me being seen in the video, playing with my keyboard, making it go up, making the volume go up or down. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. In fact, in most, most earbuds at this point or most headsets, I feel like have volume dials. That's a very good point. You don't want to have to reach up and bang on your laptop, especially if you're on video you know, or, or look like you're struggling trying to find the control, uh, which we've, I feel like we've all seen that a little bit. You know, one of the things I wish was better about these programs, and there's only so much we can do about it. You, you alluded that when we first started, I was like, pulling open my audio settings and looking at my levels. Let's take Zoom just as an example. You really have to kind of dig around to find those. Um, I wish Zoom would, in an update, put that information in the viewing screen that we're all used to looking at. Um, somehow make those controls available because I know where to go to dig into that. And then within the sub menu that comes up, I know how to adjust things. But I understand that for a lot of people, that's a daunting, especially if you're already connected. So I'd love for Zoom and WebEx and Cisco and all the platforms to sort of make those adjustments a little, a little simpler for folks. But we'll just cross our fingers and hope that happens one day. So CEO of Zoom. If you're listening, you heard it here, please, please, because I agree with Scott, that would be so helpful. Yeah, your product is very good. It, it's, its product has been very handy uh, during this uh, pandemic, but that's something that'd be really nice if it was more accessible. Scott, I know this has been so helpful for so many of our listeners. If for no other reason, if they feel like they've got a great setup, they now have some ideas for coaching some of their colleagues or clients or partners in making, helping them develop a a better setup. So thank you. I always want to make sure that we have time for the off the map question. And gosh, we are rapidly running out of time, but I have to ask you, I understand that you have directed interviews with a former United States president. And, And I think that probably puts you in a pretty unique club. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I've worked with Jimmy Carter on multiple occasions and also his wife on a separate project. It was it was really interesting. Now, you know, President Carter certainly has a very well-known personality in his post-presidency um, and was as nice and as genial as you would probably think Jimmy Carter would be. Having said that, what was amazing, and he was well into his 90s in both of these situations where I worked with him, his recall of historical events, both in and out of his presidency, was amazing. Um, and it was it was pretty amazing to be in his presence. 
but I was also, I was nerve wracked and, you know, you have to get background checked and all that stuff, um, to, to do this. And that was a new thing. Uh, I had not had to go through that level of security. Um, and you have to be ready because, you know, they don't have a lot of time. So everything must be set up. The person who's doing the interview must be ready to rock. Everybody needs to be mic'd as fast as possible. Uh, and that sort of thing. Having said that, at least with president Carter, it was the type of personality that even though you knew you only had 10 minutes with him each time, you never felt it. He seemed happy to be there, happy to participate and, and impart the knowledge that he had. And one of them, we talked about North Korea's nuclear program. And I forget what the other one was about. Uh, but, you know, he he did not make you feel like he was on a clock. And, you know, I've, I've done a lot of work with a lot of executives over the years where sometimes they... I knew I was on a clock, you know, to do what I could do in the 45 minutes that I had with them or whatever. Um, and he, and he was not that way. So it was to answer your question, it, it was both kind of daunting to realize you were in the presence of a, of, of a former president, but then also it was almost like, you know, interviewing a football coach or something. I don't know. You know, it was just happy to be there and talk shop, you know, in a way. So. And what an amazing gift to have to know that, you have limited time, but not interact with them like, hey, the clock is ticking. Yeah. And it, and it wasn't like, you know, make sure there's only a bowl of green M&Ms, you know, and there wasn't all these like, you know, at least with him, there wasn't a bunch of stipulations. It was just, it was a time thing. Um, and, you know, I, I was fortunate to do both of them at the Carter Center, which is here in Atlanta. And um, so it's kind of his building in a way. Uh, so he, that probably made it a little more relaxed. But um, yeah, it, it was a gift. I mean, I and I'm from Georgia, you know, so talking to Jimmy Carter was pretty cool and getting to meet him and shake his hand and, you know, have him be Jimmy Carter. You know, he, he's kind of that way. He how is he? Well, he's Jimmy Carter. He just he's what you see is what you get. So it, it was it was really exciting. And then actually did a project with his wife once. Um and she was the, you know, she was the exact same way. Um, I had more time. We had a little more time with her, but she was the exact same way, just pleasant and nice and asked where you were from and that sort of thing. I kind of feel like I got, I got a good one and maybe, maybe I don't want to do any other presidents because I might not have as good a, as good an experience. That is so awesome. And, and I will reflect that. I mean, in Georgia, like I'm in Georgia as well. And in Georgia, Jimmy Carter is considered a rock star, but really, I think at this point, nationally, Jimmy Carter's kind of considered a rock star. He's probably the most consequential former president in memory. Absolutely. I would, I would 100% agree with that. Scott, thank you so much for joining us. And listeners, I want to make sure that you know how to get a hold of Scott. You can go to his website at scotthartmanfilms.com. And in our show notes, we are also going to link to his LinkedIn profile. And let me share with you why I think it's in your best interest to reach out to Scott. He has made the very generous offer to provide a low-cost video conferencing setup consultation and a support tip sheet. So imagine being able to talk to Scott in the place where you're actually doing your video calls, whether that's home or your office or wherever, and have him say, well, can you shut that curtain? Can you move your laptop over six inches or to the other wall? Really, can you raise your laptop? Imagine having a coach to do that for you, someone who literally has directed interviews with a former U.S. president. It is a rare opportunity, and I encourage you to go to scotthartmanfilms.com or to reach out to him on LinkedIn and make sure you connect. Scott, thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. My pleasure. And uh, it, was, it was good. Let's do it again sometime. 
Hey, listeners, thank you so much for joining. I'm always grateful that you are here. And always remember that if you can't remember Scott's URL, it's pretty simple, scotthartmanfilms.com. But let's say you're on the subway, you don't have a pen, or you're driving, and you're not allowed to pick up a pen. Well, you can always go to successfulnonprofits.com and get his URL, get a link to his LinkedIn profile, and anything else that we've mentioned today that we think we should probably be linking to. So please make sure that you go and check out what Scott's doing. Also want to just quickly remind you, it is spring. If it has been more than a year since you've had a board retreat and you and your board are scratching your heads trying to figure out how you're going to make this work, hey, pick up the phone, give me a call, send me an email. I am really easy to get to, successfulnonprofits.com. One of the things I'm really proud of is whether you reply to the email newsletter or you reach out to me on the website, it comes directly to me. So I will get your message and I will respond. And finally, listeners, if you have enjoyed this episode with Scott Hartman, if it has helped you be a little more media savvy, be a little more ready for your next media interview, there are two episodes I want you to listen to. One is episode 88, Media Relations with Antoinette Kerr, and the other is episode 183, First, let me say it blows my mind that I'm saying episode 183. When we released episode one four and a half years ago, five and a half years ago, I didn't even know how long ago it was. I never thought we'd get to 183. But episode 183, become the media expert reporter's call with Kristen Elworthy. Also, a great episode worth your time. That is our show for this week, listeners. I hope you have gained some insight to help your nonprofit thrive in a competitive environment. And you know, I've always got to share the disclaimer with you. I'm not an accountant nor an attorney, and neither I nor the Goldenberg Group provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. It's kind of funny because I share this disclaimer with you every single time. And every time I think I probably say that if you find yourself in need of tax, legal, or accounting advice, this show's really just for informational purposes, and you should reach out to a qualified, licensed professional who specializes in whatever area it is that you need and get the advice from them. If you're not sure who to talk to, reach out to some of your colleagues. You might reach out to me. I may know some folks. I'm happy to pass along names of people I think might be good.